What a joy to be here on this wonderful day. It is a great day of celebration, but as a church installs a new pastor, uh, it's also a very, very weighty time because the, God's word calls for some uh, extreme uh, thoughts and intentions on behalf of the pastor as well as the church at a time like this. So turn with me to Second Timothy, if you will, chapter 4. Uh, Paul so greatly loves this young man, Timothy, and wants him to be successful in his ministry. And so the writing of these two letters is very important to him and important to Paul, his, uh, his mentor in the faith. And so as he comes to the end of this second chapter, uh, he has some pointed things to say to his young protege. And no, Jamie's not my protege. I don't want you to think that. But the things that says here was spoken over me when I was first beginning my ministry and then uh, as I've come to subsequent churches over the years. And so let's read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. That's, that's weighty. And so as a church, as a congregation, we charge Brother Jamie, according to the word of God. Look what he says. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, but you, pastor, but you be watchful, you be sober, sober-minded. In all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, this is a, a momentous, <clears throat> wonderful, joyful occasion. But there is also that, that weightiness, because we're embarking on the edge of a future that you have already written out for us. And you filled in the blank of the man that's going to lead us into that future. And so, Lord, we just want to follow the example of the Apostle Paul and churches throughout the years as we install our new pastor and lovingly and prayerfully charge him right from your word. So, Lord, I just pray an anointing on Brother Jamie like he's never had before for all of the things you've called him to do. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Jamie, first of all, we charge you before God to preach the word. We know you're wise, we know your experience, we know your wisdom, we know so much about you, but what we need is the word of God. We need it given to us in great measure, applied to our lives when we are wayward, Applied in our lives when we need to be rebuked. Applied when we're hurting and we need comfort. As much as we need you, we need you to preach the word. And the Bible says here, in season and in out of season. Right now the word of God is in season in Ebenezer. And still, at least in large measure, in season here in the Bible Belt. But we know we're facing that time when it's going to be very much out of season. So whether it hurts my feelings or affirms me, apply the word of God either to my head or my backside, whichever is necessary. 
Secondly, we charge you before God to lead us strongly and patiently. Correct us and comfort us. Paul is telling Timothy to lead the sheep. Let me tell you something about Ebenezer people. You can't push them. You can't drive them. But boy, you can lead them, and they'll follow. They look for leadership, and we know you're that kind of a leader. So remember in leading, first of all, you're following. You'll never be a better leader than you are a follower. And so follow close behind the Lord Jesus Christ. Own what God has made you to be. Own what he's laid you to do. And however he's, he's uniquely gifted you and putting you into service for this membership. Third, we charge you to be sober-minded, to be watchful about your life and your ministry. I tell you something wonderful about our church, but also it can be very difficult. They're a tremendous group to follow and, and to serve. And to even, even way back when I first came, uh, leading this wonderful church was something that was really intoxicating. It's something that just, just has a, a wonderful desire and a drive about it. But very easily, it can become the mistress in your life. So before God, we charge you to put your family first. You love God, you love them, and we'll fall in third and be happy we're there. So we charge you before God to be sober-minded in relation to your family. You can only lead us in our family life as well as you're following the Lord and leading your own. We also charge you to be sober-minded about us, to be wise about us, because this may come as a great shock to you, but we haven't arrived yet. We're not perfect. We're in need of, of our shepherd. And so we charge you before God to do this and to apply the word to our lives. To be sober also, we charge you to be sober-minded about the fate of those in our community that don't know Jesus Christ. Yeah. Paul wraps this up to Timothy by saying, do that work of the evangelist. First and foremost, this church has always loved God and God His word, but reaching out in, in love and to the salvation of souls is the backbone of who we are. But finally, we charge you to resolve to know nothing among us but Christ and Him crucified. Magnify Christ for your ministry through the good news, and to the very end, we charge you to stubbornly fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and resolve to know nothing but him and him crucified. Pastor Jamie, I want you to join me, if you will, please, up here. And congregation, let me tell you what I've got here. This is a, this is a baton that's used in relay races. Uh, and it has our Ebenezer logo on it. And Dr. Jamie Smith, uh, December 11, 2020, 2022. Pastor Jamie, I have finished my course as a transitional pastor here at Ebenezer Baptist Church by charging you from the word of God. And now I pass this baton of leadership to you, our new pastor, with all my love and with all my devotion. Will you join me in welcoming our new pastor, Dr. Jim? Don't run away. Thank you. Wow. Now we sang joy to the world, but this is joy, right? Miss Lodge, would you mind coming and joining Fred on the stage? And I'm going to ask Laura to come with me. 
Because this is not possible without great leadership that you have had from, from, from Pastor Lodge and his wife over the last year. And I thought it would be fitting before th this all takes place, you would get us, give us the chance to pray blessing over you guys. So, uh, guys, would y'all stand up one more time? <laughs> Caleb wasn't lying. We're getting, you're getting your steps in. Look at your watch. You've got five now. But, Laura, would you mind standing over with Miss Lodge? And, guys, would you just extend your hands forward? And we're praying thanksgiving. We're thanking God for these two and what they have done in this church. Father God, we thank you so much for Brother Fred and for Miss Lodge. God, what you have done in their lives to bring the church to this point is an absolute blessing. And God, ministry's not over. And God, I pray that as they start this next phase, either in the enjoyment of retirement or a little bit of both, God, I pray that you lead them, that you direct them, that you bless them. And that as we extend our hands today, that we lift up our hands to you to thank you for who they are, what they've done, and what they mean to us. I pray you wrap your arms around them and bless them abundantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let them know how much you appreciate them. So for step six, you can sit down now, check your watches, make sure that you got your steps in for the day. If you have a Bible with you, I know that's going to roll off the table if I don't put that down there. If you have a Bible with you or you have a device or if you didn't bring one, it's going to be on the screen. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4. As I, um, the last few weeks, have been engaged in months with you, talking to you, praying with you about this day, there were two words that have been repeated constantly in our conversations. The first word has been the word hope. The first word has been the word hope. Has been said many times we live in a day and time where hope is in short supply. This is the Christmas season. This is the season of hope, right? And the only hope that you and I have in this life is Jesus Christ. But that was one of the things that was expressed. This is an external extension of the church that we are reaching into this community and offering hope. But the other word that's very similar is an internal expression. It's a word that talks about something that goes on inside, and that's the word home. In the last week, I've received texts and Facebook messages multiple times saying, Jamie, welcome home. This morning, I invited the deacons to join me for prayer and one of the gentlemen said, it's almost like I've already been a part of you for a while. Thank you for welcoming me home. I'm home. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for the extension of kindness and warmth that you have shared with me and my family. Um, I've got some extended family with me today. My mom, my dad, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, my aunt, uncle, some friends. We call them family. Y'all have family? They're friends that are family. And I cannot express to you all how much I appreciate you being here today to celebrate this with us. Because this is a new adventure. This is a new day. And what's going to make a mark in Tekoa is not me. 
It's the fact that today God has brought us together as a home. And see, there's a difference between a house and a home. See, I've lived in many houses, and you have too probably. You know, a house is a place that's a building. It serves as quarters. And really, there's no two houses alike. You, you look at plans, you build a, home, a house, but a house doesn't become a home until someone resides in it. You see, a home is a different place. A home is a place where there's a social unit of people who come together, living together with one focus, one heart, one unity. See, home's different because of who they contain, but a house is defined on location, geography, and an address. A home is based on substance. And see, today, what makes Ebenezer a home and not a house is us. When we leave this place, this is just a building with metal and timber and drywall and carpet. But when we're in here together, as the Lord said, where two or three are gathered in my name, where did he say he would be? He said he'd be in the midst. When we gather together, something special happens. Something is different. We come together for a reason. We come together for a purpose. And that purpose ought to be making the name of our Lord Jesus Christ great. And see, today what I'd like to share with you in the next few moments that I have, because I know we have preschoolers in here. If you're under five, raise your hand big. There it is. If you're in elementary school, raise your hand big. Does anyone need to go to the restroom before we get started? I'm going to take that. Somebody did raise their hand. You can go. Somebody asked me, would it bother you if people sat behind you? I said, look, I've been a children and a youth, pa youth pastor. Nothing bothers me. All right? If you decide to jump up and woo, it's not going to bother me. I'm not woo with you. All right? But you know what? That's what makes a house a home. It's a place where your heart is. Remember, you've heard those sayings. A home is where your heart is. A home is where you hang your hat. I love what T.S. Eliot said. He said, home is where someone starts from. It's your origin. It's your catalyst. It's where you get your beginning. And see, today, what makes this room different than the fest hall or the concert hall or Walmart or any other building in this community is that this is home because this is where we come together in one mind, in one accord, with the same goal and the same focus. You know, my question to you today as I begin to unpack this passage is, why are you here? Why are you here? Did you come to see how good looking the new preacher was? Laura bought this outfit. I'm just telling you, I'm just kidding. But you either came because of curiosity or all the way to the extreme, you came because you love this church. And I want to challenge us today, as we talk about what makes this household a home, do you love your church? I want you to love Jesus more. I want you to love your church because you love Jesus. Because if you'll fall in love with your church, this town hasn't experienced yet what Ebenezer can do. Because when you have a common goal, a common people, 
with the same mind and the same heart and the same passion, there is nothing that can stop what Ebenezer can do. And so I want you to look in this passage with me, starting at verse number 23. And I'll set up the context in just a moment. But let's read this together. One last time, would you mind standing? This is number seven. But we want to pay respect to the Word of God. And he says this, when they had been released, this is talking about Peter and John, and I believe the man who was healed at the gate beautiful. When they had been released, they went to their own. That's literally what it says. Your your Bible may say company, or it may say friends, but it really says it went to themselves. That's important to note. That's a word of unity. They went to their own and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them, which was, be quiet, or we're going to hurt you. And when they had heard this, again, listen to the unity, they lifted their voices to God in one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, his anointed one. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And now, Lord, take note of their threats, and grant that your bondservants, did you see that? Literally slaves, grant that your slaves may speak your word with confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, again unity, and when they had prayed, the place where they gathered was shaken at its foundation. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, as we Delve into your word. Let your word read us as much as we read it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let me set this up for you just to, for just a few moments. We're in the fourth chapter of Acts. In the first chapter, we see Jesus ascending back to the Father. They replace Judas with Math- Matthias. And then chapter 2 starts. They're in the upper room. They're praying. They're waiting. Day of Pentecost. And the advent of the Holy Spirit comes, whom Jesus promised would indwell believers. And he comes, and that day Peter preaches, 3,000 are saved. Then we get to chapter 2. It's kind of a blitz, isn't it? You get to chapter 2, though, and it slows down for this story arc that begins to happen between chapters 3 and chapter 4. There's a man who's laying at the gate, laying, begging. In fact, we learn later in chapter 4, this man is 40 years old. And they had been setting him here for years, begging for alms. And you, kind of, you may remember the story, but if you don't, Peter and John come up. He asks them for something. They say, look, we don't have money, but what we give to you, be healed in the name of Jesus. And he gets up, and he's healed, and he begins to dance around and leap, and, and they join him later. And Peter again preaches, as the Bible says, that this man is clinging to them. You ever wondered what his name might have been? Was he Bob or John? I don't know. But this man has a name, but all we know him as is the one who was healed. 
And as he's clinging to him, Peter preaches again, Jesus crucified and resurrected, and 5,000 get saved. So by this point, almost 10,000 people in the city of Jerusalem has been saved. Isn't that incredible? To get a report that 5,000 people, that's men, 5,000 men had been saved at the preaching of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Well, in the city, there were the religious Jewish leaders, specifically the Sadducees. And all the kids in the room know why the, sad, the Sadducees were sad, right? They were sad, you see. The Sadducees were the sect that were really kind of better off uh, monetarily, but there was one factor. They did not believe in the resurrection at all. And if you look at the last verse of chapter 3, it says, God raised up his servant from the dead, and those words ticked them off. And so they came, and they got Peter and John, and I believe the lame man, because he was clinging to them, and they threw them in jail to the next day. And they're brought before the court, which most likely was the Sanhedrin, 70 elders. They based that on the Old Testament. But it included some key people. It included Annas and Caiaphas. Annas was the high priest from, we believe, 6 to 15 A.D. Caiaphas is his son-in-law, who is now serving as the high priest. And history teaches us that Annas more than likely had five sons, his son-in-law and a grandson served in this position. Annas was a very influential person. Annas and Caiaphas were also instrumental in putting Jesus to death. Now, Peter and John, now let me remind you, you remember where Peter was on the night Jesus was being tried? He was hiding in the crowd denying Jesus. Do y'all remember that? He was so scared that he would be caught up in it, he wanted to hide out in the shadows. And now Jesus is standing before the two men and the company that sent him to Pontius Pilate that put Jesus to death just weeks prior. And now he's standing there, and the Bible says by the Holy Spirit with confidence, he boldly presented Jesus Christ. They said, why, what name are you doing these things? The only name under heaven by which men are saved, the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that they stood there with confidence, verse 13 of chapter 4, and they understood that they were untrained and uneducated. Do y'all know what that literally means in the Greek? It's the word idiotes. It's the word we get idiot from. They said these men are idiots, and yet they're standing here boldly proclaiming it, and they backed up and said, well, wait a minute. We can't deny that there was a 40-year-old man who sat at the temple gate day after day begging for alms, and now he's walking. I think these men were going, whoa, wait a minute. We, we need to do this a little bit differently than we did with Jesus, because that one cost us. And they threatened them, and they sent them out. And that brings us to where we are in this passage. They went to their own. They went to themselves. They went to their household of God, their home. They went to their brothers. They, they, when we think about God and we think about our relationship with Christ, we have to consider that there are other people in our life. Physically, you and I have three needs. Food, water, and shelter, Right? But spiritually, we have the same kind of needs. We need to be nourished by the Word of God. Even Jesus, after he talked with the woman at the Samaritan well, the, re the, the disciples recognized he hadn't eaten. 
And they tried to bring him food, and he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. We need the Word of God, but you know what? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like our body needs water, we need the Holy Spirit. If it took Jesus dying on the cross to pay for our sins, we need the power of God living in our life so that we can live a life of faith. But the third one is we need shelter. We need a place to call home. And that's among our brothers. I've lived in, in, in at least four homes. I grew up on Jotham Down Road in North Forsyth. Some of you may have seen Jotham Down. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I don't know how they named that road. It's a little bit weird. But that's where my heart was for many, many years. And then I got married. And my wife and I started our home in an apartment. And then we bought our first spec home. Home. Notice I'm saying home. You know why it was a home? Because my wife and I were family, even before we had our kids. And then we bought the house we're in currently, and that has been our home. Why? Because it's a place of refuge. It's a place of safety. It's a place of love. It's a place of nurture. It's a place where I can retreat from this world with people that I know love me unconditionally and that will support me and lift me up. And the household of God is no different. We need a place of love. We need a place that we can retreat to. We need a place that's safe. We need a place that's different. We need a place that's not celebrating as the world celebrates, but we need a place where we are commonly united under one mission, one goal, one opportunity, and that is to lift high the name Jesus Christ. And that alone is what ought to knit our hearts together as one. So, in the next few moments, can I dig into this and show you three values I believe that sets the household of God apart? The first one is this. If you've got your bulletin, I believe you might even have some blanks. If you are one of those people that likes to write in the blanks, here it is. Ready? Number one, what makes us a household of God is this. Purpose matters. Purpose matters. Now, as your lead pastor, I could come up with all kinds of creative ways to express the mission of this church. But I can tell you, Jesus gave us one. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our mission is to lift high the gospel. If you look into this, when they responded, it said they lifted their voices and they said, O Lord, it is you who has made the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. Now, we've heard that phrase before, but what he's pointing out there is this. God is the sovereign creator. God is the sovereign creator. In fact, A.W. Tozer, if you want to know about who you are, we, we talk a lot about identity and culture, don't we? Can I tell you what your identity is? What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's A.W. Tozer. God sets our identity. When I meet Jesus Christ, what happens is the God who created me is able to restore the image that was fallen and, and disrupted and mired by sin. And Jesus rescues you and me out of that. He puts his spirit inside of us so he can restore the image that he intended in the beginning. And so Peter reminds them, this is the creator God 
But here's what's neat. That is a quotation from Psalm 146. Listen to this. Praise the Lord. This is Psalm 146. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Now remember, they just left the Sanhedrin and the rulers of Jerusalem. And he says this, don't trust in princes, in mortal man with whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. And in that day, his very thoughts perish. How blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord, his God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in him, who keeps his faith forever. Now, why is that important? Because of this. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, raises up those who are bowed down, and loves the righteous. The Lord protects strangers, supports the fatherless and the widow, and thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. In that very moment, maybe they didn't write everything that Peter said, but Peter called into praise the Creator of the universe from whom they draw their identity. And that's who we are. I asked you a little while ago, why did you come here today? We came here today because we have one purpose in common, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one thing that should weigh on our mind more than anything else is I'm saved, who else isn't? If you're not saved in this room today, can I tell you, don't leave this place today without putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to take your sin away and was raised, raised again to give you eternal life. Because he goes on down in that second part and begins to quote Psalm 2, one of the first messianic psalms that we get. Now I won't read that entire psalm because it's in the text there where he talks about why did the Gentiles rage? That is the point where Jesus is installed. He says, in that psalm, I will surely tell the decree of my Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. Does that ring a bell in anybody's brain? Jesus goes down to John the Baptist and says, I must fulfill all righteousness. Baptize me. And John says, no, 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 no. You need to baptize me. He's like, no, you baptize me. And he baptizes him and he comes up out of the water and the heavens open up, the spirit descends as a dove, and you hear the voice. This is my, say it again, this is my, in whom I am well pleased. And here it is, but listen to the next verse. He says to this son, ask me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. These very rulers, Pontius Pilate, the Pope, all of these different people that rule over our earth, they are under the sovereignty of God. Don't ever let politics scare you. Because at the end of the day, we rule, are ruled by King Jesus. At the end of the day, we are citizens of the kingdom of God that supersedes anything on this earth. And they are reminding one another of that. Because what happened weeks ago, they saw their Lord crucified. But what happened to him three days later? He came back from the dead. What can these men take away from Peter and John? Can he take their life? 
Nope, because they saw Jesus come back from the dead. And these men stand there in that confidence, filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of God, proclaiming the truth of God, because purpose matters. Jesus told them to go into the world, and they took him at, his face, at that face value. So I ask you today, to make our house a home, are we unified with the same purpose? If we're not, can we come together right now, committing in our minds and our hearts that we will be truly focused about the gospel of Jesus Christ? If we want to see Tekoa, Stevens County, North Georgia, Georgia, the United States and this world changed, there is nothing that can stop the force of a unified people that believe the gospel is the only thing. But there's another thing in this passage too. You find it in verse number 30. He says, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place, power matters. Purpose matters and power matters. And you're thinking, well, what do you mean by that? I look in the mirror every day at a weak person. I look every day at an incapable person. I look every day at a person that falls short and if there's any man or woman on the face of this planet that's not in the same boat, please show them to me. Because the very air that I breathe is a gift from God. And the spirit that lives inside of me does not come from my own. I have no power and authority in and of myself. And neither do you and I. But the one who lives in you and me is greater than he who lives in the world. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far abundantly a city beyond anything I could ask or imagine... That God lives inside of you and me. And I kind of wonder sometimes if someone from the first century church walked into our churches today and could hear what we talk and say. In fact, I, I wonder if they walk in and they'd look and they would ask this question, what are you doing that you can do on your own without the power of God? What I just read said that they were looking at the hand of God doing miraculous things. Can I just ask you a sobering question? When was the last time you got up on a Sunday morning and said this to yourself? God, I want to see something miraculous happen today. I want to see somebody walk out of here changed from the inside out because there's no greater miracle than a changed heart. But even beyond that, just to have the expectation. These people expected that God would do great and wonderful things. They came in with bold confidence and unwavering faith. And I just kind of wonder sometimes what it would look like in churches today if we came in with that same attitude. Well, God hasn't done that. I haven't seen that in many, many years. Well, why not? Why haven't we seen it in many, many years? Is it because God ceased to exist? Is it because God's not in the healing business anymore? Is it because God isn't interested in changing hearts anymore? My Bible reads that he wants all to come to faith in him. And he's raised up his church, his household. To do that, we have been challenged with this idea that we have to tap into the very power of God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this. And he said to me, this is God speaking to Paul about the thorn in his flesh. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected 
in weakness. That's one of the biggest oxymorons of Scripture. Or as, as John the Baptist said in relation to Jesus, the more I, de- I must decrease so that the Lord can increase. It's not my prestige, my power, my popularity, my good looks, my bank account that's going to influence people to believe in Jesus. What's going to influence them is when they see the heart of God being expressed through my heart and my hands, through confidence in the Word of God, that God can still change lives. And it, it boggles my mind. I'm confessing it today. It's real easy on a Sunday morning to get in the same kind of routines, get, put on our clothes, we get to church, we, we've maybe read a few passages, we come in, we sit down, we go through our order of service, but at what point have we stopped and said, God, I want to see something miraculous happen today. Something that does not lean and depend on me, but something where the more I express my weakness, the more your power can be exhibited. You say, well, you know, I've been inviting my neighbor for years. You know, invite him one more time and pray to the God above that it gives us the power to do those things, gives us the opportunity, gives us the influence that he will work on their heart. You can't change a person's heart. The older that you and I get, the more set our heart is. But we serve a God who takes the heart of a king and moves it just like a river going to and fro. That's the God who has this power. What is stopping you and me today to recommitting, reaffirming that we want to be an unstoppable force focused on the gospel and the power of God? Well, there's only one medium through which that'll come, and that's the third one. Prayer matters. I've already learned that you're a praying church. I know you're a praying church. In that room this morning with with your deacons, in that ministry, I was blown away at the prayers, the humility that was, that, was in, that was being expressed in those prayers. As they didn't pray just for me and for Brother Fred, they prayed for you. They prayed for the ministry of this church. Do you, let me remind you of what Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room in John 14. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. Let me reread that. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, who's the me here? Jesus Christ. The works that he does, Jesus, he will also do. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. And why is that important? Ladies and gentlemen, where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of Father. And what is he doing If the Son of God's priority is prayer, then the household of God, to make this place a home, prayer must remain a priority. Because he says this, whatever you ask in my name. Not something, not a few things, or whatever I choose. He said, whatever you ask in my name that I will do so that my Father, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Remember the purpose to exalt Jesus Christ. Remember the power that it takes to do that and this medium through prayer. These three things must define the household of God for it to become a home. Because if Jesus wants his place to be a house of prayer, right? 
You remember in Luke, the one thing we see where Jesus loses his temper in a holy and righteous way, he goes into the temple to drive them out, and he said, it is written that my house will be called a house of prayer. And he was quoting Isaiah 57 when he said this, where he says, even those that I will bring to my holy mountain, I, I will make them joyful. Say joyful. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Not saddened, not heavy, but joyful. Why? Because he said, I will bring them, I will collect them, I will gather them together in my house of prayer. And he says, their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the people. Not some of the people, not a few people, not the prestigious people, but all the people. All the people coming and receiving this joyful, inclusive, celebratory moment of prayer. Ebenezer, I know you're a praying people. What I want to find out is how you and I, moving forward from this day, can continue making prayer a priority. And when this happens, amazing things can happen. Look at what he said at the end of that verse. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. Years ago, I got to go to Haiti right after the earthquake that ha happened on the Laogon Plain. And I was, I was struck at the destruction. I have never seen destruction like I saw in that city. In fact, when we landed, it was kind of creepy. <laughs> we landed and we, we got off like not at a terminal like you would in Atlanta. We had to go down the steps. And we began to walk across the tarmac to this metal building. And there were concrete buildings to the side and we could still see the cracks in those walls that where the earthquake had broken them, glass laying on the ground that had never been replaced. And we got, we got our luggage. Well, I didn't get my luggage. Um, they decided to lose it. So we got in what was called a pat-pat. It was a little Datsun truck with a, with a camper top on the back. And for some reason, I got nominated to sit in the front seat. I don't know if I called shotgun, but I'm telling you what, it freaked me out. Number one, we were driving 70 miles an hour with 20 people in the back of this little Datsun, kind of like low riding in the back. But as we're driving down the road, I'm not joking that we're going 70 miles an hour and we're looking and there is a cleft in the road. Like the road is raised up 10 feet. And I'm going, where are we going to go? There's no drive through there. And we get up close and I'm going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And he whoops it out into the dirt, kind of fishtails it and gets back on the highway up the hill. I've never seen destruction like that. I don't know what that, that place where they prayed looked like. I don't know what it was made out of. But I'm going to tell you what I do know. When foundations shake, they crack. What we want prayer to do in our lives is crack our hearts. Some of you have come in here today, and let's just be honest, you've lost your hope. You've come in here today, and I think you're expressing to the Lord, God, I want a new start. I want something that will rejuvenate the passion and the hope and the vision and the mission of God in my life. Life's beat you down. 
In fact, some of you have come in here and say, you know what? God's let me down. What we want is prayer that can crack those foundations in our heart and let it beat again. Let it stretch us so that our heart can beat with life and beat together. Our hope for this house is that this house will be a home that's focused on Him. We want our house and our home to be defined this way. We want it to be a place of grace. We want it to be a place of refuge. We want it to be a place of relationship. We want it to be different. We want a people that are expectant that God will do only what God will do. And we want to be a people of hope. And my question to you today is this. Are you ready to hope for something bigger than you are? You want a vision for Tokoa? You want a vision for Ebenezer? This is my vision. I want us to become so connected to this town that this town would hurt if we weren't here. I want us to be in every crack and crevice of this city that everybody will know that when they think Ebenezer, they won't think church. They won't think I've been discouraged. They'll think that's a place of hope and that's a home where I can hang my hat. Many of us have seen the movie The Wizard of Oz. In the very last scene, what we see is it cuts from Oz where Dorothy is standing there clicking her red slippers together and she's saying, See, y'all have seen that movie. I don't even have to explain the movie. And the movie fades from color back to black and white. And she wakes up in her bed as, as Annie M is patting her forehead and she kind of comes to herself and, and she's, she's having this moment because the whole movie is about her going home, right? Her whole, the whole thing was, she remember, she ran away because because the lady took her dog and she was mad and she left and, and this tornado comes and she goes into this magical land, whether it was a dream or real, she can't tell. But all of a sudden, right there in that moment, she's got Aunt M and she's got her uncle and the guy who is, who is, who is Oz in the other world and the three work hands who, who are the scarecrow, the tin man and the lion, they all show up because that's home. And all of a sudden, she, she looks around and she realizes as beautiful as that place was and as weird as that experience was, she was back at a place of rest, of love. No one condemned her for running away. No one was putting her down. What was Aunt M doing? He, she was taking care of her. And the last line she says is this. Now listen, she looks around and she says, but this is my room and you're all here. And I'm not ever going to leave this place again because I love you all. And oh, Annie M, there's no place like home. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my room. And you're my people. And I love you. We're going to learn what that love looks like. But I'm telling you, as your pastor, I love you. And there's no other place that I want to be but right here because this place is home. And if you've been away for a while, I want to say to you, welcome home. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to challenge you to do two things right now in this time of prayer. 
The first thing I want to do is I want you to examine your heart. Because as I said, there, there's a lot of things that's going to happen at Ebenezer in days to come. And only God knows what those things are going to look like. But, but what I want to challenge you is this, what's your part in it? I'm asking you to make a commitment in your heart that God, whatever God's going to lead Ebenezer to do, I want to be there with it. I want you to own your church. I want this to be your room. And I want these to be your people. And I want you to have that same conviction that you don't want to be anywhere else on the face of this earth. And the second thing I want to challenge you today is this. You know some people that don't have a home. You know some people that live next to you that you work with, that you do life with. You know some people who used to be a part of Ebenezer that aren't in church anymore. We've got two weeks left of Christmas. I want you to pray for the opportunity that God will reinstate the purpose of of the mission of God, that He would exhibit His power through you and that you would pray for the opportunity over the next two weeks to re-invite them to come to church. And my hope is, is that when they walk in this room that they will meet a people reinvigorated with the grace and the mercy of God that's ready to say, as it says on that wall right outside these doors, welcome home. So let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give our lives to You we offer ourselves collectively together to do what only you can do through us. God, I pray that you will use us as a light and a beacon of hope in this town. And as people engage with us, they will sense and be drawn to a place that will be home. A place that they can retreat to. A place where they can be included. A place where they can be loved. A place where they can be nurtured. But in most importantly, God, a place where they will meet Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that the word of God would be evident in our lives. That your power will exude through whatever you call us to do. And that in our weakness, we would be made strong. God, is right now, as I'm challenged them to think about somebody, some person that they know needs a home, that doesn't know Jesus Christ I pray, God, that you give them the power and the opportunity in the next week or two to invite them. And that by coming, I pray that they'll hear about a Jesus who loves them, that died for them, and that wants to save them, and that they'll see a church that wants to nurture them. Lord, we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.